Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Do you know what your kidneys do? How about even where they're located inside your body? They're hard at work right now, filtering toxins out of your blood. And when they can't do their job well, well, we can't live without them. Kidney failure is sometimes called a silent killer since symptoms aren't noticeable until they're life-threatening. About one in seven people has chronic kidney disease. That's about 15% of Americans. Treatments for kidney failure have improved. Drugs, dialysis, and kidney transplants are more successful than they used to be. But here is a sobering fact. More than half of people who start dialysis still die within five years. This hour, I'm going to talk with guests about kidney disease, who is at risk, how to detect it, prevent it, and slow it down. And as I talk with them, I want to hear from you too. Are you or someone in your life living with kidney disease? How are you managing it? The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000. 6,000. You can also call us at 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guest. We have with us today, Jennifer Kramer Miller. Jennifer has lived with kidney disease since her early 20s and has received four kidney transplants, including a kidney from her mother and one from a 25-year-old anonymous donor. Jennifer's new memoir just came out yesterday. It's called Incurable Optimist, Living with Illness and Chronic Hope. She's an advocate for donor awareness and education and is on the board, in fact, the board chair of the National Kidney Foundation Serving Minnesota. Good morning, Jennifer. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Angela. I'm so delighted to be with you today. We also have with us Dr. Naeem Issa, a nephrologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. He treats people with kidney disease and kidney transplants. He's also a professor at Mayo Clinic School of Medicine, and he is joining us from Rochester today. Good morning, Dr. Issa. Good morning, Angela, and thanks for having us. I'm eager to have this conversation uh, because I know that this is a disease. Uh, there are people who I know who are living with kidney disease. And as I, I've read through this, I realize I have many of the risk factors for it. So, uh, Jennifer, first, I want to know what made you want to write this book and tell people about your experience with kidney disease. Of course. Well, I'll give you a quick start with my story. Um, when I was 22, I was a college graduate. I had a PR position. I was ready to launch, happy and healthy. And then one day I woke up and my eyes felt puffy. I felt off. Something just wasn't right. So I went to a doctor, like you do, thinking maybe I had a flu or you know something that would require an antibiotic, something regular. But I quickly learned that I had protein in my urine, which is a sign of kidney damage. And I needed to have a biopsy to determine the cause and extent of that damage. And that day that I saw that doctor learned I had kidney damage, I didn't realize at the time, but that was the day that my life changed forever. So um, I've been through quite a long journey. As you mentioned, I've had four kidney transplants, um, but I'm doing very well. And I've been so supported by the miracles that are available to treat kidney disease. And writing this book was really important to me because as the board chair of the National Kidney Foundation Serving Minnesota, and as a real advocate for kidney health, I am a peer mentor for kidney patients. And I talk Mm -hmm. to them one-on-one on how to deal with this disease and how to live well with managing, you know, 
kidney complications. And I really wanted to offer something that could be more broadly distributed to help more people. Mm. Um, you know, that, that sounds like like me on most days, though, Jennifer. I, I wake up, I feel a little bit <laughs> off, eyes are puffy. But a, a big motivation for this, I'm sure, too, is like you're finding out, as I'm finding out, a lot of people really just don't know a lot about kidneys and, and how they function and what they do. And so uh, yes. doc, Dr. E said to me, they are sort of like these mystery organs. Uh, we know a lot about, you know, what our heart does, what our lungs do and where they're located. So what about kidneys, Dr. Issa? Uh, tell us a little bit beginning with, you know, where they're located. They're, it's, I want to sure. automatically go to my lower back when I think of kidneys. Definitely. Let me clarify. Mm-hmm. We have two kidneys, each about the size of a fist or let's say a computer mouse. Uh, they're located in the back at the lowest rib cage level. And we're born actually with two kidneys in general. And each kidney contains up to a million filtering units. We call those nephrons. What they do actually, they remove waste products and excess fluid from the body through the urine. And so uh, that's essential uh, to, to you know, move these toxins and waste products out of our bodies. Definitely. So what are the first signs that something is wrong with them? Well, let me define chronic kidney disease. This is a condition where those small filtering units are damaged over time and cannot filter blood as well as they should. Mm. Because of this, excess fluid and waste from blood remain in the body and may cause significant health problems. Actually, the main health problem related to kidney disease is heart disease. You know, that buildup of waste products and kidney toxins in the blood, along with the imbalance uh, of some electrolyte, the calcium phosphate in our body, uh, over time uh, create calcifications of the vessels. Uh, As an example, you know, those vessels are like pipes and they get rusty. And uh, often... uh, time, those patients with chronic kidney disease start to have more uh, risk factors for heart attacks. And uh, in fact, people with chronic kidney disease or on dialysis mainly die as a result of heart disease. Mm. And I mentioned in the introduction that you're a nephrologist. Uh, for people not familiar with that specialty, what does that mean as you specialize in kidneys? What what do you do specifically? Yeah, a nephrologist, uh, uh, the main... Uh, uh, what we do actually is uh, treating patients with chronic kidney disease, um, offer them uh, when they're at late stage, offer them uh, uh, choices in terms of renal replacement therapy. And our task in actually is delaying the progression of chronic kidney disease. Uh, that's what we do. And this is personal for you. I, I understand that as you were, were growing up, you sort of always knew you wanted to be a doctor and you wanted to focus on this. And, and tell us why. Oh, definitely. Well, I'm originally from Lebanon and growing up, uh, you know, my father was actually healthy. He was in his mid-40s and all of a sudden, uh, like as Jennifer was saying, start to uh, have swelling and all over and retaining fluids and felt v- very ill went to his uh, general practitioner and uh, they did some blood work and uh, he came back home and said, I need to start dialysis. This was really uh, a shock to the family. And at that time, I was uh, only about 10 years old and decided to be a kidney uh, doctor. The problem was he did not receive the uh, 
the care that he deserved because uh, this was uh, happening during the civil war in Lebanon. Um, and he passed away a couple of years later on dialysis simply because, you know, he did not receive uh, appropriate care. Mm. And, and Jennifer, when you hear a story like that, what goes through your mind? Oh, my gosh. I, my heart goes out to you and your dad. I can't imagine you as a 10-year-old having to see that happen. And I know that for myself and a lot of kidney patients, we are so grateful that you were inspired to go into nephrology because Dr. Issa is a very caring and compassionate nephrologist. I can just say that from experience. But, you know, I'm so glad, Angela, too, that we're talking mm-hmm. about this. I think you're right that it's almost like kidneys need a better publicist because I think we hear so much about <laughs> I, brains and breasts and heart health, but we really don't hear that much about kidney health. And when they stop working, you realize, boy, those two little fists in my back really did a lot of things more mm-hmm. than just creating urine that we all kind of think of kidneys, you know, make you pee. But there's such a host of systemic things that kidneys are involved with. And when they don't work well, you you become anemic and your skin can get itchy and there's quite a bit of fatigue. And, you know, I never really appreciated all the things that they did for me when they were working. And then suddenly mm-hmm. when I had kidney failure in six months after that first doctor appointment, I really realized how important those little organs are. And I kind of wished I would have appreciated them more when they were in their good shape. Well, we want to talk about it today because, you know, I, I do feel that this is an area where we could all benefit from more education about it. And, and we have some calls from listeners already. But before I take the first call, Dr. Issa, I want to ask this question about uh, who is most at risk for kidney disease? Um, and what do we know about who commonly gets diagnosed and is at a higher risk of, of getting a diagnosis of kidney disease? Definitely. You know, as you alluded to, it's actually incredibly, chronic disease incredibly common and becoming more and more common in our society. In fact, it is a public health crisis in the U.S. that is often overlooked and uh, underappreciated. You mentioned uh, some numbers. Let me give you some facts. We estimate that one-third of American adults at risk for developing kidney disease later in life, and one in seven already have chronic kidney disease. That's a whopping 37 million uh, U.S. adults. The problem is about 40% of people with very severely reduced kidney function are not aware they have chronic kidney disease. Um, In the U.S., diabetes and high blood pressure are the leading causes of uh, kidney failure, Mm -hmm. uh, and that accounts for about three out of four new cases. And it's, uh, as you mentioned, it's it's, it's often silent until patients reach late-stage kidney disease. So many people with early-stage chronic disease are not aware they have it. It just catches them by surprise. And what happens when we look at race, particularly first with Black Americans? Definitely. That's actually a very important uh, topic. You know, uh, we know that African-Americans are more than three times as likely to have kidney failure than uh, white people. Uh, uh, That's actually, it's a complex uh, topic, but uh, those are the numbers. Uh, There are many explanations why is that, because uh, African-Americans have less... uh, 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 access to healthcare, uh, mm-hmm. so they're often diagnosed late 
and there is actually an issue with uh, more diabetes and hypertension in African Americans uh, mm-hmm. than in white people. It's, it's sort of all, it's all connected. All right, and a public health crisis. I did not know that it's classified as that kidney diseases. It is indeed. Hmm. All right. Well, let's take some phone calls from listeners. Uh, as If you're just tuning in, we, we are talking about kidney disease and learning more about our kidneys, how they function, and uh, what it looks like when there's a problem. Are you or someone in your life living with kidney disease? How are you managing it? What questions do you have for our guests? We're talking with both a doctor and a, a patient, a woman living with kidney disease. Give us a call at 651-227-6000, or you can call 800-242-2828. Let's take a, a phone call uh, right now in Apple Valley. Jeff is on the phone. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hello. Hi. What did you yeah, want to tell I have, us? Yeah, I have, uh, I'm, I'm on dialysis myself. Okay. I was diagnosed in 2010, and I've been dealing with it like like I'm not. I and I've and I've just been on diet. I've just just hit my one year anniversary of being on dialysis. Mm-hmm. It and is uh, it's it's like it's it's harder than I ever imagined. Quite frankly. So, t- um, what does dialysis mean for you? Uh, first, how do you describe so, what happens in in dialysis treatment, Jeff? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on what's called PD dialysis, and I've got, I have these deliveries of fluids. They're, they're uh, six, I've, I go through two six liter blags of fluid a night. And they're, and they, what they do is they use, it uses sugar to pull the, to pull the excess fluid out of myself. And that's every, so every, every night? night? Every night I'm drinking, it's like I'm drinking, I'm like, it's like I'm having two Snickers bars mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. a night. So it, it's a, it's a great way to put on weight. <laughs> and and your diagnosis, uh, how did that come about? Were you walking around not yeah. a- aware, or how did you get diagnosed? I was di- so so. I just basically went in for a, a standard um, treatment. Exam. I just went in for you know like just standard checkup, and my blood pressure was a little high, and I was I, you know like I was in pre decent shape, and then the doctor said, "Oh, this seems weird. Let's run a blood test." And I get a call from her as I'm driving into work the next day saying. Yeah, you've got stage three, almost stage four kidney disease. Mm. And that was in 2010. And that that was like a, that my world changed that day. Like that was like, all of a sudden I was good. I had to get biopsy. I was going in to get, you know, like I started all these meds. Like I was on prednisone, 60 milligrams of prednisone. And that was like, like, holy cow. If you want to see what a mood shift is like, like. Oh, Jeff, I can really relate to you. Yeah, uh, Jennifer. I'm certain you can. What are you hearing, yes. Jeff's story, uh, Jennifer? Well, um, you know, kind of. It sounds like you had undiagnosed kidney disease until a late stage, and yeah, that's how many stages so are they? Hard to yeah. crash kind of into dialysis like that. But if you were diagnosed in 2010 and mm-hmm. then you started dialysis a year ago, you had quite a bit of time that you were mm-hmm. sort of having progressive damage to your kidneys. Is that right? Yeah, and I, like I, I, I really changed up my diet, and like, like biggest thing is like if you've got kidney disease, it's like avoid salt, avoid, um, yep, avoid potassium. Like, high potassium stuff, phosphorus, and mm-hmm. then like not too much protein. So you can like, like it's a it's a tough diet. It's a really tough diet. Yes, it is um, tough. All right, uh, Jeff, hang in there, Jeff. Jeff there in Apple in Valley. So, Doctor Issa, uh, when you know, 
he, he how many stages are, first are there? So he goes in and he's like, you're stage three and four. And so mm-hmm. what do you hear there? Was there an opportunity that, I mean, he's getting his annual exam. So why is it now right. he's in his third or fourth stage of this and it's just getting detected? Right. Uh, let me underscore this important point uh, that uh, Jeff uh, brought up. Uh, we have five stages of chronic kidney disease. Start by stage one, when the kidney function more than 90% and so forth. Stage three is when the kidney function is between 30 to 60%. And stage five, this is unfortunately when someone needs to be supported with uh, dialysis or need a kidney transplant. And Jeff brings up actually a very important uh, point um, Unfortunately, I think he's lucky he lived with chronic disease for such a long time because we know the average life expectancy for patients with chronic disease is actually really low. Let me give you some numbers. Uh, the average life expectancy for a patient on dialysis is only 5 to 10 years, uh, though for someone between the age of 7 to 74, life expectancy is closer to four uh, years on dialysis. And that brings me back to the most important point is screening, screening, screening. I cannot emphasize the importance of screening for chronic kidney disease. So when I go in for for my annual exam, should I say to my Mm -hmm. doctor, I want to be screened for kidney disease? Please do whatever test you need to do for my kidneys? Well, typically, we do not recommend uh, general screening for everyone. Uh, let me uh, uh, tell you what, what should be done. Those people who have diabetes, they have to be screened every year. And so actually, uh, it is not a cumbersome screening, just a blood work uh, mm-hmm. to check the creatinine level and check the urine for uh, protein in the urine. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who have high blood pressure, those who have strong family history of chronic disease, for example, if you have a family member, especially a first degree relative who is on dialysis or had a kidney transplant, you're at higher risk. Those who are overweight, and that's uh, we underestimate that as obesity uh, increases the risk for chronic kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Those people who take anti-inflammatory painkillers, uh, we call them the NSAIDs, non-steroidals, such as ibuprofen and such. Those people who take those medications on a regular basis are at risk. And anyone who's older than 60 years, uh, I think should be screened for chronic kidney disease. And uh, as we mentioned as well, if you have some ethnic backgrounds, such as being African-American or Hispanic, I think uh, need to be tested and uh, on regular basis for chronic kidney disease. Now, in general, if you reach the age of 40 years, uh, that's the age where things start to happen, uh, meaning high blood pressure, diabetes, Uh, whereas there is no national guidelines to screen those people. But I think on yearly basis, getting urine test and uh, blood test through your primary care physician, I think that that, uh, saves lives. We heard Jeff talk about dialysis. And and doctor, talk to us about dialysis. Uh, What does that look like? What does it do? How does it it work? So dialysis is a form of treatment for chronic disease. Just uh, we call it renal replacement therapy, meaning it replaces... Uh, what kidneys do. Uh, So it's actually a machine. So people have to uh, get connected to a machine. Uh, uh, There are two forms of dialysis, hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis. I'll talk about hemodialysis. Uh, 
it's a machine like let's say mm-hmm. a, a washing like similar to a washing machine that has filters where we need to have access to the blood through a large uh, IV uh, similar to a regular IV, but large bore uh, catheter where the blood goes through that machine, uh, through a pump, get filtered, and the clean blood is returned uh, to the patient. Does it so hurt? Just, it, sh- it doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't uh, but, hurt. You know, and Jennifer, the needles hurt. aren't fun. You've been on dialysis three times over your lifetime, Jennifer. What was it like for you? Um it doesn't hurt. The procedure itself doesn't hurt, but you do need to insert two large needles into an access, which is typically mm-hmm. in your arm. And that's not a pleasant thing. That There's some, you know, obviously pain with needle sticks. It's very cumbersome way to live, however. Is it every I mean, day for most people? Or Well, there's a couple different ways to do it. So when I first did it, I was... Um, I went to Abbott Hospital and I did it there. These were the days before Davida had outpatient clinics, you know, all over the place mm-hmm. and other places like Fresenius. But um, three times a week, I would do it for about three hours a time. But the mm-hmm. problem is it's it's an artificial kidney, really. It's doing the work that your kidneys aren't doing. Mm-hmm. But your kidneys are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So dialysis is a part-time replacement for a full-time job. So your energy is not what it is when you have your kidney function or a kidney transplant. And it's mm-hmm. very draining. Like Jeff mentioned, there are quite yeah. a few few uh, food and fluid restrictions, which are very important to be compliant with. I think one thing I would really advise any kidney patient, especially dialysis patients, is be very compliant with your diet and do what you're supposed to do. Take your meds that you're supposed to take. But Really pay attention to the things that, you know, they tell you don't eat too much potassium. Well, learn why, like know your whys, because mm-hmm. if you just think, okay, I shouldn't eat potassium, that's one thing. But if you know that if you eat that big, huge baked potato, you might have irregular heart rhythms that could be fatal, that gives you a little more motivation to avoid that baked potato. So absolutely, uh, it's, a, it's a cumbersome way to live, but you know, it does keep you alive. So I'm grateful for the ability that it can keep kidney patients going Mm -hmm. and hopefully until they could get a transplant if that's possible. I want to bring in more listeners in the conversation as I talk with a doctor and a patient about kidney disease. I want to hear your stories too. Are you or someone in your life living with kidney disease? How are you all managing it? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's go to Rochester and talk to Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. What do you want to tell us? Hi, um, I am a kidney donor. I went through the Mayo Clinic's kidney exchange program and donated a kidney on behalf of my sister on March 1st. And we are both doing very well. And I wanted to plug the Mayo Clinic and all the wonderful staff that I worked with because the whole experience from beginning to the surgery to how I feel right now, has been intensely rewarding, and I would recommend that many, many more people consider donating a kidney. Tell me what was going on with your sister. How old uh, was she when she got her diagnosis? Uh, well, I come from a large family, and she's the eldest, and uh, she has a, a genetic condition that involved kidney failure um, as an eventual, you know, um, part of her illness, and so I wasn't a match. So we went through the exchange program. 
Um, I am 64 right now, so I was 63 when I donated my kidney. And uh, the process, you said you're her sister, but you weren't a match? No, no. For some reason, we have different blood types. Okay. And mm-hmm. and before I, I talk to the doctor and um, and uh, Jennifer more about this, uh, how is your sister doing now? And what was it like for you as a donor? It was a piece of cake. I yeah. mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I, I just kept asking um, different medical staff, why don't more people do this? I mean, why don't... Um, I have a, a daughter that gave me a T-shirt as I went through the process that says, um, I, I, uh, I shared my spare, and that's how I feel about it. I had two healthy kidneys. Um, mm-hmm. They found someone who needed one, and uh, I donated, and it was great. I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. I don't have one single regret about it. Cindy in Rochester, I've got you and your sister are doing well. A lot oh, of questions about donations. I have so much to say to Cindy. Just okay. can I quickly just say, Cindy, oh my gosh, you are such a hero. Mm-hmm. And I, people who do what you do, I'm in awe. And I experienced your kind of generosity with Angela. I should really clarify this. Um, you mentioned my mom mm-hmm. donated her kidney to me, which she did. It's the loveliest thing ever in 2002. And then you mentioned the 25-year-old altruistic donor, but we can't neglect to mention my husband. My husband did what Cindy did. So he donated his kidney through a paired exchange program because we weren't a match, but that enabled me to get the kidney from the 25-year-old altruistic donor. So I know that there are heroes amongst us. And Cindy is one of them. Thank you so much for what you did for your sister. I love your story. So explain a little bit about this donation process. If uh, first of all, that I automatically think or a family member that 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 they may be a match. First of all, that is not necessarily true. Is that correct, Dr. Issa? Yes. Anyone can be actually a living kidney donor. Uh, Let me go back and give some, uh, you know, some facts. You know, as Jen was alluding to hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis, uh, it's not the solution. It keeps people alive. And thanks mm-hmm. to the advancement in medicine that we have dialysis, we have replacement therapy to keep people alive. But, you know, dialysis has very high mortality, uh, even than some common cancers. Annual mortality on dialysis around 9% and more than 60% of patients die by five years. Therefore, we uh, offer kidney transplantation that has actually several benefits over dialysis, uh, you know, from improved quality of life to freedom from dialysis, better uh, survival. It actually confers people uh, longer life to live. You know, uh, people will actually not have any restrictions in diet uh, in general. It improves the heart health and better overall uh, uh, management of everything, you know, from anemia to uh, tons of psychological benefits, uh, uh, you know. And we always forget the uh, burden of caregiving as well. You know, if you... So, you know, I go back to my story growing up. I mean, seeing my father going through dialysis, it's a full-time job. It's mm-hmm. does, it's not only for the patient, it's for the family. Just going three mm-hmm. times a week, it doesn't stop at just, you know, three or four hours of dialysis. It's a full-time job that has a lot of burden, you know, on the family as well. So kidney transplant is the best uh 
That's the solution. When you compare it to dialysis, it's a better solution, definitely. And we heard uh, Cindy say, you know, um, that there was uh, one to spare. So what do we need to know about living with one kidney? I make a donation, but then I'm fine living with one kidney? Yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, Cindy, for uh, donating a kidney. I mean, as Jen mentioned, you're a hero. Uh, well, anyone can be a living kidney donor. Uh, you must be at least 18 years old. Some centers require a donor to be older than 21 or older. Uh, and there are some medical conditions that could prevent someone from being a living kidney donor. That can include someone who has uh, uncontrolled high blood pressure, uh, non-kidney disease, uh, diabetes, uh, some cancers, or living with certain uh, chronic infections such as HIV or hepatitis. Uh, what we typically recommend is let the transplant center, if you're in doubt of being a living kidney donor, just let the transplant center, uh, you know, uh, contact the transplant center. And uh, there are tons of uh, online uh, uh, education stuff that patients, uh, potential living kidney donor, uh, they can actually Google living kidney donor and read about it. The National Kidney Foundation has actually a nice website. Mayo Clinic has also a great web- website. Jennifer, four kidney transplants. Um, you, you mentioned your um, the, the donors that, that, that you work with, but wh- why did you need four? What was happening? Well, first of all, I have a kidney disease that is a stubborn one. Um, it's a it's an autoimmune factor in my blood that mm. doesn't like my kidneys. So it's got a very long name. It's a lot of syllables, focal segmental glomerular sclerosis, but we'll just call it FSGS for short. And so um, this factor that circulates in my blood, they have not been able to isolate how to get rid of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's like I said, a stubborn disease. So um, what they can do is manage it, but they can't eliminate it. So this has caused me to lose my first two kidney transplants, which were from registered donors. Um, although I say lose them, but I did have like wonderful years with those kidneys. They gave me mm-hmm. a lot of time and memories. And my first transplant allowed me to continue with like start a career. I met a guy who became my boyfriend and became my husband. And a lot of really great life has happened for me in all these intervals with my kidney transplants. And the second one was also another registered donor. And with that one, such a miracle, not only did I get the miracle of life from, you know, someone who is so kind to give the gift of life and plan ahead for that in the event something horrible happened. But I also then was able to create life with that kidney. I now have a daughter who's in her 20s and such a miracle to me that um, the gift of life allowed me to have my wonderful daughter. So those two were uh, through the registered donation system, which is really kind of a remarkable and can be quite confusing intersection of life and death. Um, I know now from my work with Life Source or Donate Life that it's um, a confusing thing to be a recipient, to get a kidney or an organ from somebody's tragedy. But I've also learned that there's a lot of comfort that the families take when they know that in this tragedy and in their grief, their loved one has passed on life to somebody else. So that's... Mm. um, that's kind of at the heart of this 
sort of intersection that is mm. is organ donation. And and Dr. Issa, um, as we talk about uh, kidney transplant, um, there are racial disparities to talk about there. Um, I know that until very recently, the the formula that was used to determine whether someone was eligible for a kidney transplant, and to some degree, I mean, it, it worked against Black Americans, uh, even though you know Blacks are, are more likely. I think you said three times more likely to have um, kidney disease than whites. Explain the the scoring formula, the science that was going on that that made it a problem. Right. <clears throat> well, over the last few years, as you were alluding to, there were many efforts to promote. The equity and fairness in kidney transplantation, mainly enlisting patients and referring patients to kidney doctors. Uh, unfortunately, African Americans were historically disadvantaged compared to others simply because they identify as African American and the formula that we use to estimate kidney function conferred them with higher kidney function and that about 15 to 20% higher than their white counterparts. So let me let me tell you a little bit of background. Traditionally, in clinical practice, we use those estimating formulas for kidney function. That's what we call the estimated GFR or glomerular filtration rate, because directly measuring the kidney function is very cumbersome and only done in select labs around the country. And over the years, uh, formulas were developed to estimate those kidney function, and based on prior large population-based research found that there was a correction factor for being an African-American. For the same person, uh, an African-American will have actually a higher kidney function. Let's say we take some the same person, uh, an African-American and white person. Uh, they have the same age, same demographics, same size. An African-American will have a higher kidney number based on those uh, uh, those estimates, mm -hmm. and therefore it will not be referred for kidney transplant or even referred to a nephrologist to begin with, and that delayed their listing for kidney transplant for years and years. Mm. Uh, until last year, we came up with actually a formula that uh, as you was more fair and uh, did not uh, include that uh, correction factor. It's more an inclusive formula. So every patient has a fair shot on the kidney transplant uh, waiting list. And there are about 100,000 people waiting for a kidney transplant. About 60% of those people are people of color. And so recruiting more donors of color is, is very important. Doctor? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, as I said, one in three Americans are at risk. Uh, I mean, black Americans are more at risk, three times as likely uh, than uh, to have kidney disease than their white counterparts. And unfortunately, uh, we have less and less donors who are from uh, minorities. Mm -hmm. And that's actually bring us to uh, what J uh, Jennifer was saying about registering as a uh, deceased donor uh, uh, after death meaning uh, someone indicate uh, to their loved uh, ones or to their family that they would like to be a potential donor after death. And that's very important to raise that awareness. Jennifer, what do you want people to know about becoming a kidney donor or making a decision to become a donor after they die? Well, you know, there's there's kind of a thing with organ donation that people seem to shy away from it sometimes. And we've kind of looked into why that is. And 
it's almost like there's an ick factor. Like people sometimes want to shut it out and think, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about death. And that's just, I'm going to put that out of my mind. And there's been some kind of interesting campaigns. I think in New York, they've done a campaign called Recycle Yourself because it seems a little Mm -hmm. bit more friendly to think about, well, I believe in recycling. And if I have something after I die and I don't need it, I might as well recycle it. So Mm -hmm. I think people, if they have a sudden reaction like, oh, that's too much, I don't want to think about it, get beyond that a little bit and try to think about that it's actually a system of kindness and a system of sharing and I would encourage people to educate themselves about it. I know with Life Source and Donate Life, we go out and we talk to uh, high school kids who are getting their driver's license because if they're going to make a decision about becoming a registered donor, the only way to make a good decision is to be educated. So, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone has any questions about it, there's lots of places to get information and um, mm-hmm. you can certainly go to the Donate Life website and get tons of information about it. But Think about it as a, a way to um, to make your life continue forward in the event of a tragedy. And then in terms of living donation, I know the National Kidney Foundation, we have some great programs, especially for kidney patients themselves who are trying to figure out how could I ever get a living donor. It's a daunting prospect to think of ever asking someone for a kidney And you don't really have to ask anyone for a kidney. What you can learn through the Big Ask, Big Give program through the National Kidney Foundation is how to share your story. That's all you need to do is share your story. And there are such good-hearted people out there that that might help you. So I would encourage people to look into that as well from kidney.org. Let's talk with uh, more of our listeners in Brooklyn Park. Nye is on the phone. Nye, thank you for calling in. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to tell us about kidney disease? Yeah, I just uh, want to share from a husband's perspective that um, my wife is currently pregnant about five months and is going through dialysis currently. So dialysis well, during a pregnancy. And, and what are you yeah. seeing? How, how is she handling that? How, how are you handling it? She's a trooper. What does it look like? How time-consuming is this? It's very time-consuming. She has to go to dialysis six days a week, six hours a day, because the uh, baby needs blood. Wow. And and what else are the doctors saying? Um, uh, Once the baby is born, uh, your healthy baby arrives, what will your wife need now moving forward? Yeah, uh, once the baby's born, uh, she'll then cut down on dialysis if she doesn't get a new kidney uh, to about two to three days a week. Okay, so she's looking for a kidney donor. Yes. Okay. Um, do you have any questions for the doctor or for Jennifer? Uh, no, not at the moment. Okay, thank you for sharing your story. We're wishing you the best. Jennifer? I just wanted to say I do know a woman who um, was on dialysis, got pregnant, started doing more frequent dialysis like your wife. She um, has a very healthy baby now and is doing well, and her dialysis has, you know, was reduced, and she did receive a transplant. So I hope all those wonderful things for you. Dr. Isa, what can you tell us about going through uh, dialysis Mom. when you're pregnant? Wow, that's really, I mean, it's very... Uh... I mean, it's extremely rare that we can maintain healthy pregnancy with someone on dialysis. Um, As he was indicating, that involves 
doing dialysis six, seven times a week for a long period of time just to make sure that baby continue to mm-hmm. to live and uh, thrive. Whereas when after kidney transplantation, pregnancy is actually uh, we can do more and offer more. Uh, it's very, very hard to maintain uh, pregnancy on dialysis. Let's take another phone call. Um, someone originally from Minnesota, but calling in from Washington State. This is Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Hi. Hi. What do you want nice. to tell us? We're talking nice about ki- kidney disease. Well, I want to tell you I was a donor for my sister-in-law and um, 12 years ago Yes, at HCMC mm-hmm. and in Minneapolis. And everything functioned great for seven years. And then uh, she got Lyme's disease. Mm. And I guess I, I don't know the real specifics, but the Lyme disease really put a clog in the works, and uh, she had to take medication for that. And so uh, the kidney I donated ended up uh, not functioning, and um, my nephew, who is not her son, donated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another kidney and she lived another uh, two and a half years mm-hmm. and then um, she ultimately died of something else but um, <clears throat> what I really want to say is that the donor gives very little of their life of their time and is much healthier afterwards because you really learn uh, to pay attention to your health uh, and it's very little that I gave, and it gave nine more years of life. Barbara, I'm sorry you lost your sister, and I know she was so grateful that you were willing to be a donor, a kidney donor. Yes, sister-in-law. And sister-in-law. Four of the markers, four out of six, I guess, matched. Mm-hmm. So, Thank but, you. Um, Thank yeah. you for sharing your story, Barbara. Let's take another phone call. This one in Brooklyn Center. Charles is on the line. Good morning, Charles. Thank you for calling in. Good morning. Good morning. I um, just have a comment. My dad actually was on dialysis starting in his late uh, 40s, um, and he just recently passed last year, February, at the age of 83. So he was on Mm -hmm. dialysis for quite a long time. Um, And I I did have a question. I, I haven't heard anybody talk about prevention when you're in the early stages or if it's possible to kind of uh, turn it around, re- turn it around, yeah, right. bring back excellent question. Some of the effects, yeah. Charles in Brooklyn Center, Doctor Isa, let's talk about prevention. Um, how do we stay healthy, yeah. or if we're in the, those early stages, how do we turn it around? Yeah, going back uh, to screening. Screening is very essential. Um, there is actually a lot of research being done and we have a lot of breakthrough medications now that can be used at early stages of chronic kidney disease to halt the progression of chronic disease. Um, we have many new FDA-approved medications. Some of those uh, were originally studied uh, or originally designed to be used in patients with diabetes, but we learned through large trials that there is also success with those medications uh, in slowing down progression of chronic disease to the extent that we avoid dialysis altogether and the need for kidney transplant. Uh, 
And Dr. I, I want to hear more about diet. Like as, at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about the risk factors and obesity was there, but the significance of diet and exercise in this. Oh, definitely. This is very important. Weight loss is very important. Diet, uh, typically in early stages, uh, we don't have many restrictions, but as the chronic disease start to progress, we tell patients uh, to limit their protein intake. That puts some, some load on the kidneys. So it is important to limit protein intake and eat healthy, keep a healthy weight, uh, avoid you know uh, certain medications. Some of uh, those medications are over-the-counter medications that are alluded to the NSAIDs, the anti-inflammatory painkillers. Ibuprofen? Those are ibuprofen, mm-hmm. yeah, people... Some people take those on a regular basis, and we discourage that if you have uh, uh, early stages or late stages of chronic kidney disease. So diet, healthy living is goes a long way and help uh, Absolutely. Uh, halting there's, the progression. Jennifer, we just there's have a, been a lot of research lately, too, I think, about plant-based diets plant, and how kidney-friendly mm-hmm. a mm. plant-based diet is. So that's a, a good way to eat for your kidneys. And I'm glad that you mentioned like the ibuprofen and those over-the-counter drugs, because I think a lot of people don't know that, that mm-hmm. that can be harmful to your kidneys. So if you're in a high-risk category, I would really try to avoid those over-the-counter painkillers like ibuprofen. Jennifer, the, we have a minute left here. The title of your book that came out yesterday is Incurable Optimist. Uh, how, and, how are you able to stay optimistic? You know, I am able to stay optimistic because I'm so glad to be alive. I mean, I have had a lot of challenges I've gone through, but I have had an amazing life because of people like Dr. Isa who have helped manage my care. I'm going to celebrate 12 years with this kidney transplant, my last one, which is an amazing 12 years. So I think when you go through things, sometimes you realize the flip side is really appreciating that there are medical interventions and things that that keep me here. If this happened to me, if I was born at a different time in the 1940s or 50s, I wouldn't be able to still be here. So I'm just really Mm. grateful for what's able to keep me going. All right. Well, our time is up for today. I know I've learned so much about kidney disease. I want to thank our guest, Jennifer Kramer Miller, who has lived with kidney disease since her early 20s and received four kidney transplants. She's an advocate for donor awareness and the board chair of the National Kidney Foundation serving Minnesota. Her new memoir came out yesterday. It's called The Incurable Optimist Living with Illness and Chronic Hope. We've also been talking with Dr. Naeem Issa there at the Mayo Clinic, a nephrologist who is working with kidney disease patients. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you to our listeners. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.